listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Talk about the fundamentals for physical healing. And what I'm going to do, and I mentioned this last week, but we've established an altar team. And at the end, and I'm going to leave plenty of time, at the end, I'm going to have the altar team come up, and whatever you're dealing with in your body, they're going to agree with you in prayer. You know, and Jesus, he, he actually never said to go and pray for the sick. You know, he never told his disciples to go and pray for the sick. He said, go and heal the sick. It's true. You can go and look it up in the scriptures. He said, go and heal the sick. We actually have a commandment in faith that we can go, not in any power that we have, but because of who we're connected to and who we're tied to and the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus, that we can go in his name, his power, his authority, and release healing into any situation and see God come through where there was no way possible. When we were in worship, the Lord uh, quickened this to me. And I want to mention this before I get into teaching. Uh, This is in Romans chapter 10. And we're familiar with this. And I was thinking about, there was probably at least three of the the songs that we sang that talked about raising from the dead and resurrection power. And I I just got to thinking about that and the Lord quickened this to my heart. And he said, you know, that's actually the starting place. Most people think that it's a high level of faith to raise the dead. But actually, it's the starting place. I'm going to show it to you. Romans chapter 10 and verse... Nine, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know what's required for salvation? Believing that God raised Jesus from the dead. You have to believe in raising from the dead power in order to be saved. Yet I found that a lot of times we'll be thinking and look at situations and think, wow, that's, in, that's just an impossible situation and feel like it's out of our reach. Well, for us, it is out of our reach, but not for God because we serve a raising from the dead God. And the Bible says in Romans chapter eight and verse 11, that the same spirit, not a similar one, not one that's kind of like, but the exact same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you and will quicken your mortal body. So what I'm going to do over the next uh, few moments here and over the next weeks and months and however long the Lord has me stay on this, I'm going to build a case so severe from the word of God that you're going to have to be in rebellion. I didn't even think about what I was just saying until I said it you're going to have to be in rebellion to deny the healing power of God and that it's for us today. I'm going to build a case that strong from the word. I'm just going to let the word speak for itself. That's the beautiful thing about being a minister of the word is when you just minister the word and people don't like it, it's like, well, you know, take it up with God because I didn't write it. So this is what I would ask of you is to peel back the, the filter that you might have previously looked at things through and take the word and see it for simply what it says. 
And what I've found, and, and I've done this, and I've, I still find myself in particular areas where I'll view things through a filter. Because, see, you can make the scriptures say anything that you want them to say. You can, you can believe that they say things that they, they don't. I've been there with different scripture verses and believed certain things. And then after a, a period of time, I would look at it and the Lord would say, you know, you've believed this way, but this is actually what it's literally saying right here. And so we have to be willing to peel back the, the layers, to peel back the filter, how we've been raised, how, how we've been brought up, the denomination that we've been a part of, or what, whatever it is, and just come and see what is the word actually saying, because God's word is the supreme authority. I am not the supreme authority, how I feel or how you feel or what we think or the church we were brought up in or what our mama told us or what our daddy told us. None of that is supreme authority. It's only God's word. And it has to reign supreme in us, but that is a personal choice that we have to make. And sometimes it forces us to come face to face with, I've been believing wrong for a long time. Nobody likes to hear that, but sometimes that's the truth. We've been thinking away, believing away for a long time, but if our heart is open, we can allow the word of God to quicken the truth of the word to us. I want to tell you before I get into this, why I'm so so passionate about healing. And, and my family will tell you that I've been ministering on this and talking about this and believing God in this area. And I've seen great results. I just received a, an amazing healing this past week. I'll share that testimony in just a, just a couple of moments. Um, but I want to tell you why this is so passionate, why I'm so passionate about this. You know, I didn't, I didn't just uh, listen to somebody talk about this and then decide, you know what, I think I want to start ministering on, on that. Now, I got to a point where I was desperate, and desperation, if you look to God in your desperation, he'll give you the answers. Being desperate isn't necessarily a good thing, but if you go to God in the middle of it, it is a good thing. And I had a family member that was diagnosed with MS or multiple sclerosis, I can't ever say it right, but you know, uh, that was diagnosed with that, and when that was report was given to me. I didn't know anything about anything about anything other than that I knew that God loved me. It's the only thing I knew. I knew that God loved me. So I went to the Lord and I said, Father, I know that you can heal because your word reveals that. I know that there is healing in your word because it says so. So I need you in this situation. I didn't know how to pray beyond that, but it was good enough. And two weeks later, I had teaching in my hand that said, God wants you well. And I grew up in a house to where we saw supernatural things. And I was used to the, to the moving of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit and just powerful worship. I was used to that. But during my teenage years, through a lot of circumstances, I was in a, a particular denomination that taught against healing. They taught against miracles and that God wouldn't necessarily do it, or he might do it if he wanted to and felt like it. And so there was all these strange things mixed in there, which I'm, give me time, I'm going to hit on every single, if I, if I possibly can, every single wrong doctrine that I believe has been taught that goes in opposition to the word. I can't do it all today. It's going to take me a lot of time, but I'm willing to stay diligent and be patient and lay it out. And, and we're going to learn together. Amen. But when the Lord put those teachings in my hands, it was like the veil 
was pulled back and all of a sudden I saw God in his word for what it really was. Now, I already had a foundation of the love of God and I already knew that God loved me. So whenever people would say, well, God might want you to have the sickness or the, or the disease or the whatever, it didn't compute with me because it was, it was equivalent to me to say, well, you know, your parents want you to be sick and die or, you know, struggle or whatever. And that didn't compute with me because I knew the love of my parents and I knew that God is love and had more love for me than my parents. So it didn't make sense to me when people would say, oh, God wants you to have that. It just did, it didn't make any sense. And then when I got into looking at the word, I thought what I knew to be true about God's love indeed is, is true concerning his word. But not only that, he's given us authority in the earth over sickness and disease and demonic issues. And there, is, there are gidgads of scripture verses, but the only way those verses will work in you is you have to peel back the veil and say, Lord, and I would even encourage you to say this, Lord, I don't even care what Pastor Kent believes. I care what you believe. Because if you can do that as you're listening to me talk about it, then you're going to have God speak to you what is really true and not just be my word. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. This is going to be awesome. Are you ready? You got your teaching clothes on and you're ready? You're learning clothes on and you're ready? Okay. So let me tell you quickly the, the testimony from this past week. And actually, Ron has a, has a te- can I share that testimony or is that, can I tell the details of it? It's okay. Or can I just say you received a healing? Okay. All right. Well, I just want to make sure I didn't ask you, but now you're put on the spot, so we have to do that. So. <laughs> So, Ron, actually, it was about a week ago that you had had a, you had, had a mole right there on the center of your chest, and I think Wendy got tired of looking at it or something like that. I don't know. I know we're going to go down that road, but anyways, uh, uh, so you guys agreed and prayed, or one of you did, or both of you did, and within a week, and it had been there for years, like 10 years, 15 years, longer than that, 20 years, as long as you can remember, maybe, and about a week later, uh, that thing died and or it really started dying once they spoke the word, but the manifestation of it came about a week later, and it was just hanging by a thread, you said, right? And it turned gray and, and gnarly looking or whatever. Yeah, and then it just fell off, amen? And you say, well, what's the big deal about a mole? Lots of people have moles. It, it's an indication of the power that we carry and the authority, which is the right to release that power into situations. Jesus cursed the fig tree. And then the disciples, this is in Mark chapter 11, the disciples, uh, they, they were there and they saw him and witnessed him cursing the fig tree. And they didn't see anything happen with it, but they came back 24 hours later the next day. I think it was Peter, if I remember right. He said, Lord, look, that fig tree you spoke to, it died. I mean, that's how I imagine him saying it. And uh, Jesus said, have faith in God. In other words, he was saying, why didn't you believe that when I spoke that something actually happened? Why didn't you believe that? And then he went in to give some of the greatest uh, teaching on faith and believing God that there ever was. If any, whatever, whatever things, and, and there was a mountain there. And he turned and he said, anybody who would even speak to this mountain, if you could believe and doubt not that you could speak to this mountain, it would be removed and be cast into the sea. That's how strong the faith of God that is in you and the authority to release what God has given you See, authority, and I'm getting, I'm getting like three months ahead of myself here, but authority 
Power is the ability. Authority is the right to release that ability. And I'll, I'll get into more of that in the future. So, but for me, I had, uh, it started actually when Ron and I went to North Carolina a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago, whatever, almost two weeks ago. And I, I was dealing with some really, really bad back pain. And I just, I didn't, and oh, me of little faith. We were there to go minister to Pastor Bobby, and I never said anything about it as if the Lord couldn't have taken care of me and Pastor Bobby at the same time. But anyways, I just didn't say anything about it. And by the time we got back home and all the hours riding in the car, I was like, I was like beside myself. I was in a lot of pain. And then I started having some of these other issues. And then Liz was up here praying and doing some things, and she called me and she said, uh, I think, she said, I think this is, uh, maybe a kidney infection. And she said, that's not usual. And Liz is a nurse, so she knows a lot about those things. And um, she said, that's not usual for men, but she said, I feel like maybe it's a, it's a kidney infection. I said, okay. I spoke to my kidneys, commanded the pain to go, and with I'll say within hours, I really don't even consciously remember. I just know that it was a very short period of time, and I had zero pain in my back, and I was up and moving. And all the other symptoms that were there were totally, completely, 100%, and still to this day are 100% gone. Amen. And I have, um, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to tighten this thing up, and hopefully that won't do that again. If it does, I'll switch microphones. I have gidgads, and I'll share some of those things with us, but I have gidgads, whatever that means, of testimonies of seeing God work and do tremendous things. So, man, he is awesome. Uh, let's start in Proverbs chapter 4 and in verse 20. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20, and if we can pull this up on the screen, I want us to see this. It says, My son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Next verse. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Let me tell you the basis for everything that we're going to talk about concerning healing is that God's word, and here is one verse of many, God's word is the answer to everything that we need, including physical healing in our physical bodies. Now, I, as we go through this, I'm going to do my best to answer questions that people have, such as if I prayed or I have prayed and I didn't see it, it, it work, why didn't it work? And what about unbelief? And there's lots of questions that people have, and I'm going to do my very best to lay all this out. It's important to remember something. In, in church culture, in um, a lot of places, it's, it's more about let's go in and have the guy lay hands and boom, and it'll be done. And I like that, actually. I'm a, I'm a fan of that, but I'm also a fan of line up on line because you could have me come up or you could come up and have me pray for you, and you receive healing in your body, and I've seen that many, many, many times. But if you don't understand what the word teaches concerning it, you could walk away, potentially even lose what the Lord did because the enemy will come in and steal the word. He always works to steal the word. You could actually lose that, that progress potentially uh, and or just not know how to stand on things in the future. Your best line of defense against 
any kind of sickness, disease, and anything that could be demonic around those things, the spirit of infirmity, is for you to know your authority that you have from the Lord as a believer, as a disciple of him, and you take authority over those issues yourself. It doesn't mean you, we don't have people that we you know, agree with us in prayer for things that we need, but you have all of the same amount of the Holy Ghost that I have in me, you have on the inside of you. I don't have any more of the Holy Ghost in me than you do. I don't have any more power, and I don't have any more authority than you do. The only thing I might have more of than some people is just confidence because I've been seeing it work for so long. You know, my, my philosophy is this. Because I've prayed for people and I didn't see them healed. I didn't see it, it manifest. And there's reasons why. And I'm going to get into some of those things as the time goes on. But my philosophy is if you pray for one person and they don't receive, it doesn't manifest, or even they drop over dead, uh, respectfully, you just, and this is kind of more of a figure of speech, you step over them and you move to the next person. I don't always have the answer for everything, but I do know this, that God's word is true. He is faithful. He never goes back on his word. We sometimes just don't cooperate properly with his word. There's no condemnation, but it helps us understand that the fault doesn't lie on the Lord. And again, this isn't a condemning thing, but really the problem as to why things don't work right always comes down to an issue with us but the word will help straighten those issues out to where we get good results, the best results, the right results. Amen. So I want to I talk to you in, about the fundamentals of healing. And so everything I'm going to talk about for the next weeks and months is really going to be fundamentals. It's going to be basics. And that's not to mean that uh, I think you all aren't smart or whatever, but these are what I come back to when I need something from the Lord. I'll remind myself of these, these basic fundamental things, and it's what causes me to win. It's what causes Liz and, Liz and I to live in victory in our life. A lot of times the enemy will trick people and think that you need, you need more revelation. You need this, that, and the other, and I'm all for more revelation. I'm all for gaining more understanding, but really what we need is a very simple, pure faith and what we already know, if we do know it, and what we already know concerning basic things in the word that God tells us concerning healing. So going back and reestablishing those in our heart is a guarantee for success in your life. It's a guarantee. Hallelujah. So foundation number one. This is foundation number one. I will not get through number one today. I probably will not get through it next week. And I actually have five foundations. And if I feel like it, I might add more foundations in there. But these are just five foundations. And what I'm going to do actually is I'm going to read these foundations to you. And then we're going to go back and I'm just going to teach them. But here are the five foundations. If you're taking notes, you can, you can uh, write these out, but you might want to leave room. Or you can write them at the top and then go back and write, rewrite number one and then fill in all the notes as I teach on number one. But foundation number one is it, it is always God's will to heal. It is always God's will to heal. And I'm going to take lots of time proving this to you from the word. Number two, so you don't have to take my word for it. Amen. You can take God's word for it. Number two, God has already healed us. That's foreign to most people because when they pray, they pray, say, they pray and ask, Lord, will, I just 
was on Facebook and saw this, and, and I, I'm sure their heart was right. I'm not judging any of that, but this person had a, a, an issue go on, and the, this pastor came on and said, Lord, will you please heal? And I thought, and I wasn't trying to come, and I didn't. I didn't say anything, but I thought, you know, I, I've just come and understanding that I don't ask the Lord to do something that he's already done. I'll, I'm, I'm so ahead of myself. But God has already healed us, just like he's provided salvation. We don't ask God to save people. If, if you came up and said, I need to be saved, what I wouldn't do is go, all right, Lord, will you please save this person? Will you please die on the cross? God, please, will you please die on the cross and save this person? If I did that, most of you would say, this guy's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. But we do that with healing because we think that when we pray, then God's going to move. The truth is God has already moved by grace in healing. And I'm not calling anybody an idiot. Please forgive me. I shouldn't even say that word. Lord, clean my language up. <laughs> it's, just, it's okay to laugh. But we do that with healing. We'll say, Lord, will you please heal this person? And I'm not saying the heart's right, but I am saying the understanding or the heart's not right, but I'm saying the understanding is not. Because why would we ask God to do something that he's already done? Our job is to enforce what he's already provided. Faith delivers what grace has given. You are saved by grace through faith. That word saved is a Greek word sozo, which means saved, healed, delivered, and made whole in every sense of the word. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, somewhere around there. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the grace of God is what saves you from hell, literal salvation, but also healing and deliverance and wholeness in every sense of the word. God's grace is, does the saving, but it's our faith response that activates that grace. So the truth is, Jesus has already healed you just like he's already saved you. The power has already been delivered. It's already in the pipeline. It's already on the inside of us. So it's right to say that, and this is, I knew as soon as I, I, I said, I shouldn't list, in my head, I said, I shouldn't list these five things because I knew as soon as I started listening, I would start teaching on them. But let me move on. God has already healed us. That's, that's number two. And you, some of these things you might be thinking, I just don't believe that. Stick with me. You're going to believe it or you're just going to deny a lot of what the word's going to say. One of the two is going to be true. Number three, we have authority over sickness and disease. Number four, much of sickness is demonic. Sometimes we, over, we overlook that. And when I'm not getting a result with something, sometimes I'll step back and go, Lord, what's going on here? And he'll show me. It was, it's just a demonic attack. I'll get into more of that later. Number five, you must act on your faith. So if you believe something, then you have to do something to have actions that correspond to what you believe. Otherwise, you really don't believe it. So this is why if someone's got a hurt or a pain or whatever, I'll say, now move it. Now jump. Now run. Now bend over or whatever the deal is. Because we need to act on what we say we believe. Faith without works is dead. Faith without actions that correspond to what we say we believe is dead. I'm going to go back and hit number one. It is all, this is such a huge thing to bite off. And I literally have 20 minutes left because I've, I've set a clock because I want to leave plenty of time for people to receive from the Lord today. It's going to be awesome. 
But this number one, this is a huge deal. It is always God's will to heal. Most of you in here believe this. Some of you may think, I don't believe that at all. And some of you think, well, I kind of believe that, but I'm really not sure. And if, if that's the case, then why isn't everybody healed? Well, I'm going to begin to really lay some things out from the scriptures that will help validate this point. It is always God's will to heal. When you say that it isn't God's will to heal or may not be God's will to heal in particular situations, it really, truly is an indictment against, and it's not intentional by people, they just don't know. It's an indictment against his word because his word backs us up, but it's also an indictment against his character. Remember how we first came into the kingdom of God. Did we come in as a soldier? Did we come in as a, uh, a servant? No, we came in as a son or a daughter. You are either adopted or you were born into. Both revelations from the word is true. But either way, either way you want to look at it, we are, we are his children. And what good father would ever withhold any good thing from his child, especially when they are in time of need? See, you can just look at this cut away all of the, the doctrinal mumbo-jumbo that's been thrown to us throughout the years and cut away all of the, the things that we have believed because we've experienced failure and we've gotten discouraged and things have entered in. Cut away all that stuff. And one thing that stands true is God is our father. We are his children and he will never withhold any good thing from us. It says in Romans, I think it's chapter 3, it says that if, that if basically if, if he saved us, then why would he or he wouldn't withhold, but he'll freely give us all things. There's not anything that God will withhold from us. It is always, in every single situation, it is always God's will for healing to manifest in that situation. It doesn't matter what it is. And how do we know that? We're going to show a lot of things from the word, but very simply put, God is love. Love does not allow sickness from a father to a child, does not allow sickness, doesn't cause sickness, doesn't do any of that stuff. Love believes the best, hopes the best, gives the best. And since God has all of it, there's no reason to believe that it's not been given to us as his, as his children. This is something that we absolutely cannot waver on if we are going to, and see, my goal with this is not only to bring understanding about physical healing that comes from the Lord, but it's also so that you will have confidence to minister it to yourself and to other people. Jesus used healing like a bell to draw people to him. And this is an interesting thought because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, well, we don't need healing. We don't need healing today. We have the word. Well, Jesus had the word. Jesus knew the word. Jesus was the word. And yet Jesus and the early day disciples needed miracles, wonders, healings, the supernatural power of God to manifest, to confirm the word that they were preaching. It actually, to me, is, is really an arrogant statement to think that we can truly reach the world without having signs, wonders, and miracles. Is our preaching really that great? The greatest preacher that's alive is never, it could never be greater than Jesus. Jesus was the greatest preacher. He was the greatest teacher. He was the greatest prophet. He was the greatest minister of all. Yet Jesus had signs and wonders that were done to prove that he had power on earth to forgive sins. 
This is a story, I'm not going to take time to go there, but I believe it's in Mark chapter 6, where they were lowering the man down through the roof, right? And uh, when they lowered him, him down, Jesus made this, and he was just so smart. I love reading Jesus with the Pharisees, because Jesus was always like five steps ahead of them. It's like the chess game and Jesus, was way, they were way outmatched by Jesus. And he said, he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. And what's interesting is that the man wasn't looking for forgiveness of sins. He was looking for healing in his body. But he said, sons, be, your sins be forgiven you. And the Pharisees reasoned within themselves saying, who is this man that he speaks these blasphemies? For only God has power to forgive sin. Then he turns and says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, rise up and walk. So the man immediately picked up his bed and he went and walked. Now, what did that prove? That proved that if he could do the greater, he could do the lesser. Now, I'm not saying that healing is greater than salvation, but I'm saying as far as manifestation's sake, it is. Because when a sin is forgiven, what does it look like when a sin is forgiven? What does a sin even look like? We know the effects of sin, but what does an actual sin look like? We don't really know. It's a condition in the heart. So to say your sins be forgiven you, you don't, you don't have to have any proof that that sin was forgiven. But if you say rise up, take your bed, rise up and walk, there had better be proof there. Otherwise, that person is a fraud. So when Jesus said, so that you would know that the son of man, speaking of me, Jesus saying, speaking of me, that I have power on earth to forgive sins, rise up and walk. And other, in other words, he was saying, because I did this thing, you know I can do this thing. It was proof. And it's the same thing for us today that we should have signs, wonders, miracles, healing manifest in our life for proof to accompany the preaching of the word for proof that God is alive and he does save and he does deliver and he is who he says he is. It's proof of it. But we have to have this established in our heart. We cannot waver on this issue that it is always God's will to heal. And I've found this even, even through the years to be, I come back to this, this foundation, this fundamental often because I've experienced failure like everybody else in this room. I've experienced time where I prayed and didn't see it happen or didn't see it happen in a timely manner. And I've lost people and different things have happened. And I don't always have all the answers for that. But one thing I can always go back to because I know what his word says. And I know who he is as, as a father and as a, loving, as a loving savior. I can always be confident that it's always God's will to heal. Let me show you this verse in James. Let's go to James chapter 1. Now, I have um, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I think six points on foundation or fundamental number one, and I'm only on A. So, praise the Lord. We're going, the Lord said, go deep. Sometimes people are a mile wide and only an inch deep, and they wonder why they don't get anything accomplished. Let your roots go down deep to bring great understanding. It says that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. That means without reproach, that means if you messed it up when you got wisdom before, God's not gonna hold it against you. You can come and ask him again and he'll freely give it to you, amen? That's good news for a lot of us. But let him ask in faith 
with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. In verse 8, he is a, oh, I was like, what am I reading? He is a, uh, yes, those words went together. He is a, go back to verse 7 so I get a good, a good flow here. For let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. For he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So somebody that believes one way this time, and then they believe this way this time, and then they believe, well, I'm kind of back over. That's a double-minded person, and you're not stable. And it doesn't say that God won't give. It says that that person won't receive anything from the Lord. God's always in the business of giving. It's our receivers that get messed up sometimes. And one reason why we don't receive properly is because we are tossed to and fro about many things. And this particular fundamental is one of those things. Sometimes people think, well, I, I really believe God wants me to have this. And then when they don't see it, then they're like, well, I, I, maybe God doesn't want me to have it. Maybe there was some redemptive purpose in, in him causing this or allowing this, and they put all the blame back on God, and they're double-minded. You cannot be double-minded in this. It has to be set in your heart that it is always God's will for you to be healed. That has to be a, a concreted, and you can't waver on that. We can't waver on that because if we do, like this verse says, we're unstable in all of our ways, and we won't receive anything from the Lord. So a very important point. I want to go to this in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. One of the ways that we know that it is always God's will for us to be healed and for healing to come in every situation is simply because he is willing. And it says, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying... Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. See, he knew he had the ability to do it. He wasn't questioning God's ability, but he was saying, if you're willing to do it, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, I think this is a very interesting uh, story or a thing that God put in here surrounding his willingness to heal this person. Because a lot of people would say, oh yes, he was willing in that instance, but he may not be willing in other instances. Now I'm going to come back to this, but I want to, I want to tell you this really quickly here. And I got this in this awesome pamphlet that I've, I've had it for years called God Wants You Well. And on the back of it, it says, Jesus healed them all. There are 17 times in the gospels where Jesus healed all all the sick that were present, and I'm not going to list all those, it would take too long, but 17 times he healed all of the people that were there that were sick. There are 47 other times where he healed one or two people at a time, and nowhere do we find Jesus refusing to heal anyone. Those are some strong statements about the ministry of Jesus. He was always willing to heal people. There were people at times that refused to receive his healing, but he was always willing to heal people. Now, back to this, this thing here. I believe that all scripture is placed there intentionally. Every story, every everything, it's there for an intentional purpose. John said at the end of his gospel, he said, I suppose that if, if all of the stories that 
and all of the testimony and however he says it, all of the things that Jesus did were written and recorded that all the books in the entire world would not hold all of the things that Jesus did. So that has to make you use some uh, deductive reasoning and go, okay, if there's that many, but it's only scrunched down into four gospels and many of them are overlapping stories, it's the same stories recorded in each gospel, why did he pick these? Why did he pick these stories? I'm gonna tell you why he picked this story. Because some people would say, well, it's not God's will in this situation, but it is God's will in this situation. Or it wasn't God's will here, but it is God's will here. A person who was leprous was outcast by everybody. And leprosy in the Old Testament was a picture of sin and the sin that Jesus covered in the New Testament or for really for all mankind. So leprosy is speaking more than just about the man's condition. It's speaking about the condition of humanity. And Jesus here is really reflecting not only forgiveness of sin, but also physical healing that when everybody else would cast out, Jesus is still willing. You cannot be too unclean for God to minister healing to you. Most of the time when somebody gets prayed for and they don't receive healing, it doesn't manifest, somebody will say something like, well, they must be in sin. They must not be living clean. Guess what? You cannot live clean enough for Jesus to heal you. And I think the mentality sometimes, I think, you know, if somebody does, they always say like, well, God's teaching you a lesson. Well, the person that does get healed, or do they not need any lessons taught to them? I mean, think about that. That's the, that's the common thing. Well, oh, God's allowing this to teach you something. But then you have somebody that doesn't have any sickness or, or, or got better or whatever the situation is. Does that person not need to learn anything anymore? I mean, really, that's pretty arrogant if you think about it. Let me, let me pray for you. Well, you're not healed. I guess God's teaching you something. Do you have any problems? No, I'm doing really good. Oh, really? So you have it all together, and so God's not teaching you through some sickness. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of arrogant when you think about it. Everybody needs to learn stuff, but sickness is not how he does it. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that all Scripture is inspired. It's given by God for correction, for instruction, for, for I'm, I'm totally messing it up, but basically the Word is the thing that causes us to grow up. It's the thing that causes completeness in our life, not sickness and disease, not calamity. Can you learn things through that? You betcha. If you do something, if you eat really, really bad for a long time and then you have congestive heart failure, you could learn that you need to eat healthier. Amen. And you could go on and on with the list of things you can learn. It's not God taking it and saying, now I'm going to teach you something. He'll teach you through it and in it, but that's not his method. What he has given us is power and authority over all sickness and over all disease and over all demonic spirits to where we can see freedom and live in the fullness of what God has for us and not have to live underneath of that. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Last time I checked, sickness was a part of, of death, defeat, and calamity, and it would fall in that category. The thief is the one that comes to bring that. Satan is the one that comes to bring that. But Jesus said, but I have come that you might have life and that you have it to abundance. Some people think, well, we're, I'm just supposed to be joyful and peaceful and that we should be that. But you know, when it comes to this whole sickness thing, it's just up to the Lord. Nonsense. We're supposed to have a life abundant in every sense of the word. God wants us to be well, healed, whole, made whole. Amen. 
In Jesus' life, and I'm going to get to this in a moment, Jesus' life described that perfectly because he only did what he saw the Father do. He only said what he heard the Father say. And yet you can't find any instance where Jesus refused to heal or put any sickness on anybody. So if God's in the business of wanting people to be sick, why was Jesus disobedient to the Father? And if that's the case, then God's word isn't true because Jesus said that he never did anything except what he saw the Father do. But no, God's word is true. And Jesus only did and said what he saw the Father do and what he heard him say. Everything that Jesus did was an exact, perfect representation of who the Father was and is. Hallelujah. So Jesus is always willing in every single situation. There's not anybody that's too far gone, that's in too much sin, that's done too many bad things that he won't heal. And the truth is, like I said earlier, and it's point number two that we'll get to eventually, is that he's already paid for healing. It's already a done deal. It's a grace thing. Grace means that you get it even though you don't deserve it. That's what the grace of God is about. It says that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And people always get nervous. They're like, oh, you're just telling people they can just go live however. No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is just what the word says. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. I was, in a, I was in a meeting one time, and this, this lady, it was when I was in Bible school, this lady had been coming, had been coming around, and she was at some of the meetings, and <clears throat> excuse me, was at the school, and I, I didn't know this. She looked very, very, very sickly, and I didn't know this at the time, but she had AIDS, uh, not just HIV, but she had, had AIDS, and you could guess probably how she got that. You know, we don't really know. It could have been a, it could have been a number of things, but... Uh, so then fast forward, I think it was two, three months later, Andrew's up on the platform and he says, and here's June over here who had AIDS and God healed her. If God will heal somebody with AIDS who got that from whatever, promiscuous lifestyle, sharing needles, however that would come to pass, he'll heal anybody. He's no respecter of persons. He does not look at people and say, well, you've really not been doing things right, so eh. Oh, God's grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Not only grace for forgiveness, but grace for healing, grace for you to be loved, grace for you to be set free, grace for anything you need in your life. Man, that's some good news, which is why it's called the gospel. Listen to this. Jesus, as I mentioned just briefly, and I've got five more minutes, Jesus was an exact copy of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, we're going to pull this up in the New King James, and then we're going to look at it in the Passion Translation. Who being, and this is speaking of Jesus, it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But notice the first part there, it says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. It's saying that Jesus... Listen to me now. He was an exact copy of the Father. They weren't similar. They weren't kind of like each other. When you saw Jesus, you saw the Father. They were identical. And if you go and look this up, uh, some, some of the, the commentary will say a carbon copy. You ever written on like a receipt or something like that? And you wrote, and then the one underneath of it, like an invoice, the one underneath of it will be an exact copy. That's what this is talking about. So when you saw the, the top copy of the receipt, 
You could be confident. You could pull out the one underneath. You could be confident that the ones underneath of it were an identical copy. That's what it's saying here is that Jesus was an exact copy. Go to the, go to the Passion Translation, Hebrews 1 and 3 in the Passion Translation. Is that it? It's somewhat cut off, but that's okay. Uh, God's, help me out, splendor. God's splendor, the exact, oh yes, God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. You want to know what you look like physically? Who, who in here uh, looked in the mirror before they came to church? Some of y'all definitely didn't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Woo! Uh, who in here looked in the mirror and this morning before you came to church? Yeah. You know what you saw? You saw an exact copy. No matter how good or bad it looked at that moment, you look beautiful now. You were seeing an exact mirror image of who you really were. So when we see Jesus or we see Jesus and we read Jesus in the scriptures, we are truly seeing who the Father is. So we don't have to guess, well, Jesus was this way and he came and he did these miracles and he did these things, but really God's up in heaven and he's really just ticked off and he's mad and he's angry and he's just controlling everything. No, the way that Jesus was is who the father really is. And the authority that Jesus walked in is also the authority that we are supposed to walk in. And we know this because it says that he gave his disciples power and authority over all sickness, over all disease, and over all demonic spirits, Luke chapter 9 and verse 1. We can do the same things that Jesus did. Blasphemy. No. Scripture. The works that I do, you will do, and even greater works. That's good news. Look at this in Colossians. Here's another, uh, another way to phrase this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. Again, we're going to look at the King James, the New King James, and also the Passion Translation. And it says that he is the image of the invisible God. You know, the Bible says that no one has seen God at any time. I've heard people at different times, they're like, I had a vision of God. I saw God. And it's like, no, nah, actually, you didn't. The Bible says nobody's seen God at any time. But we have seen Jesus. We see Jesus in the word. And the ones that were alive with him physically then, they physically saw Jesus. And it says he, speaking of Jesus, is the divine portrait the true likeness of the invisible God. You may not be able to see God, but yet you really can see God through Jesus. You can know who God is through Jesus. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Amen. Now look at this. Oh, let me, oh, I need to read the rest of it because it's awesome. It says, and the firstborn heir over all creation. I'll get to that part in a minute, but go to the passion translation of this. I love this. And it's always way longer. So Colossians 1.15 and the Passion Translation. That was the Passion Translation. It's basically the same. Okay, so anyways, whatever. I should have just used one of them, all right? So let's go with this one here. He's the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God, and the firstborn heir of all creation. Why does it say the firstborn heir? If there's only one, then you wouldn't say first. I have an older brother and an older sister. They are way older than me, but anyways, no. just kidding. Uh, I know. I might pay for that later. I need you to test my food for me, you know? Which, this is worse. I'm asking my wife to test my food for me. Jesus, 
Help me, Lord. Stop it, Kent. Well, you laughed at least. That's good. The laughter is good. But she's the second born child. I'm the third born child. And then we have a fourth born. Well, we don't, but my parents had a fourth born child. How is that? It's because there was more than one. There was two, three, then four. If it stopped with my brother, it definitely would not have been complete and perfect like it is now. But, um, but seriously, if it had stopped with my brother, it would have just been the only child. Why does it say firstborn here? Not just firstborn, but firstborn heir? Because Jesus was the first one among many people that would be born again. Now, Jesus didn't need to get saved in, in that sense, but he was dead, and then he was risen in the resurrection life, and he was, in a sense, born again, and we, like him, are also born from the same DNA, the same family. We have the same heritage that Jesus has. Oh, come on, somebody. Look here in Romans, look at this, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, and I'm finishing with this. Romans 8 and 29. Oh my gosh. And I need the worship team to come up, and then in just a moment, I'm going to have the, 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 prayer, the altar team come up, and man, this is going to be awesome. It is awesome. This is awesome. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, speaking of Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, he was the first because there was many more to come after him. The firstborn among many brethren. And if we look in, and I don't have time to go there, but it's in Ephesians, I believe it's chapter two. And it talks about how that we are heirs and not only heirs, but joint heirs. And when it's saying, as a matter of fact, can someone tell me where that verse is? Ephesians? I'm drawing a blank. I know it's in Ephesians. Oh, actually, it's the next verse. I was just in Romans 16. I was like, where did that verse go? Let's go back to Romans 8 and 16. And then we're going to go to verse 17. My apologies. It's right there in front of my face. The Spirit himself bears witness. No, where was I just at? I was in Romans 8, 28, 8, 29. Now we're in Romans 8. 16 and 17. Thank you, Jesus. It's time to close and let the power of God flow in you guys. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, we are children of God. Look at the next verse. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. You know what it means to be a joint heir? That means that every single benefit blessing, favor, everything that was given to Jesus because we are, we are his brother because we have been born from the same place. All of the same benefits and blessings that were given to Jesus were also given to us. And because we've been adopted, it's, in, it's impossible for you to be cut out of the will. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally the picture of when a parent or parents leave a will to their children, supposing that it was just left to all the children, they would all, in, in theory, get an equal share. It's the exact same way with us and Jesus. Only 
it's got a spiritual dynamic to it to where it's the power is not divided. We all get the full measure of the inheritance. <laughs> My God, that is awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just stand to your feet? If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.